0: Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh.
1: You can't hear the Word of God and truly believe it and not respond to it. Don't say you believe it and it not have effect on your life.
0: Belief. It's a critical part of our relationship with God. But how do you know when it's real?
1: Does it cause you to begin to respond? And that's where it starts for us ladies and gentlemen, in responding to the Word of God when dealing with the sin in our life.
0: I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. We're in our third week of the series entitled, Jonah, Man on the Run. And today we come to the high water mark of the book of Jonah.
1: If I could sum up Jonah chapter 3 in one big picture biblical principle for Jonah chapter 3, here's what it looks like. Real belief causes real action.
0: In chapter 1, we learned what happens when we try to run from God, as Jonah did. In chapter 2, we saw Jonah singing a different tune. Today, in chapter 3, Pastor Clay is going to show us what happens when we respond to God with belief. The people of Nineveh were a godless people, but when the prophet of God obediently delivers the Word of God, what happens next can only be described as a work of God. We're glad you've joined us today for this powerful message. Now here's Pastor Clay with this week's Crosswalk.
1: Most of you are aware of the guy um, a couple of weeks ago that made the prediction about the world coming to an end, right? That's pretty much, it's amazing how it caught pretty much everybody's uh, attention. Of course, he was wrong. I mean, we're still here, right? Um, but one of the interesting, uh, oh, by the way, he's predicted a new date, if you haven't heard, just so you get, re- <laughs> get ready. Um, it's, I think it's in November. Is it in November? October. October, November, just be ready both of those months is a good I, idea. I, I, I make fun, you know, because I, I just don't think you can predict a date, but we should be ready for the coming of the Lord, that's, that's for sure. But anyway, he's, he's made a new date. One of the interesting things to come out of that whole thing, I think, was what you saw people do that, that believed this guy. Did y'all hear some of the accounts of what some of the people did? thousands, tens of thousands of dollars that people gave um, toward the ministry. Um, People took out loans to uh, buy billboards and uh, other types of advertising, telling, you know, that the end was coming soon. Here in Raleigh, I remember seeing a newspaper article about a lady, she'd had her car wrapped, you know. uh, Y'all know wrapping your car and said, Jesus, or or, the end is coming, or what all that kind of stuff. Um, I tell you, you, you might could... You might could question the wisdom of, of them listening to this guy. Since Jesus had clearly said, no man knows the day nor the hour. You might could question the wisdom of those people. But one thing for sure, you can't question their belief. They, they believe that, right? Because their belief caused them to take action. That's what real belief does. Have any of y'all seen this uh, show on television? These... I don't know what else to call them, crazy people, on the television show Whale Wars. Have you all seen any, any of the clips from Whale Wars? It is unbelievable. It's these people that are fighting against the, uh, the Japanese, you know, eating whale. I guess <laughs> it's big in Japan. Um, and so, it's, it's, uh, they go out and they, they catch kill whales. And these people in this Whale Wars, they're, you know, against that. Anti whale killer, whatever. I don't know. They're they're getting, and so they're out there fighting against this guy. And and what's insane about it is they're, they're riding along in these little rubber dinghies. You know, they're out in the giant ocean, little rubber dinghies. and they're like, "Yes, I'll take my little rubber dinghy and go to war against this giant ship." You know that they're that they're, it's crazy. I, why do they do that stuff? Because they believe that what they're doing is right. They believe it to the extent that they are willing to act upon it. Speaking of whales, uh, or more technically correct, giant fish, Jonah. We're in the book of Jonah. Jonah spent chapter 1 running from God. He spent chapter 2 remembering God. And today, in chapter 3, we're going to see that Jonah spends some time running with God. If you brought your Bibles with you today, you might want to open them to Jonah chapter 3. We're going to take a few minutes and examine, although not all of it, we're going to take some time and examine Jonah chapter 3. We're going to run with God for a little bit today. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city, one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh... Will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation, and it said in Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. And let men call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw His burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which He had declared He would bring upon them. And He did not do it. Jonah chapter 3 is... It's the high-water mark of the book of Jonah. It's only four chapters, right? But Jonah chapter 3 is the high-water mark of the book of Jonah. It's the happy ending before the ending. If I could sum up Jonah chapter 3, and I have, by the way, uh, sum up Jonah chapter 3 in one word, in one BP squared, one big-picture biblical principle for Jonah chapter 3, here's what it looks like. Real belief causes real action. Pretty simple. Pretty straightforward, real belief causes real action. Now, we're going to look at a couple of different areas in this this, this morning and, and next week. First, we're going, to, we're going to look at us, you and me, men and women. And then next week, we're going to look at the action that it causes as far as God is concerned. But, but let's start with us this morning in the time that we have here. Real belief causes real action. Here's the first area. It will cause us to respond to preaching concerning our sin. Now, keep in mind, when we use the word preaching, okay, that the word simply means the proclamation, the proclaiming. For instance, God didn't technically preach to Jonah in the classical sense that we think of preaching. His word came to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the text says, a second time. The first time, Jonah ran. The first time, Jonah rebelled. This time, this time, Jonah turns and he runs with God. Jonah is told to go to Nineveh, that great city. By the way, four times in the book of Jonah... Nineveh is referred to as a great city. And certainly it was. No doubt it was a great city. But I'll be honest with you. Some people, skeptics and critics, have had a hard time with this idea that it was a three days journey through this city. Some people have said, you know, that, that can't possibly be right. There couldn't possibly have been a, a city that large at, at that time. And, and some of the people have criticized this idea where, where the text says that it, it was a three days journey. Well... Uh, all I can tell you is, almost certainly, when when the text refers to the city of Nineveh, it almost certainly includes the suburbs and the surrounding areas of that city. That, that would be a common practice even today, to include the, the, the outer-lying areas. People in those days certainly lived outside the walls of the city. They would come into the city walls whenever bandits or marauders or invading armies or something would, would come, but they would certainly be considered part of that of that band. Warren Wiersbe says that the, uh, that the circumference of the city of Nineveh and its surrounding areas, its suburbs, was, was 60 miles in circumference. In Genesis chapter 10, verses 11 and 12, uh, we find that there is this reference to what you might call the, the Nineveh metroplex, four cities that actually made up what is sometimes referred to as, as Nineveh. There was There was Nineveh, there was Rehoboth-er, there was uh, Raisin, and there was Calah. Genesis chapter 10, they're kind of all mentioned together. Because of the statement made in Jonah chapter 4, which we'll look at next week, Wearsby believes, estimates that the population that we're dealing with here is somewhere in the neighborhood, get this now, 600,000 people. Do you understand then that with the book of Jonah... We are looking at the greatest mass conversion in the history of the world. You ever think about that in the book of John? 600,000 people. And it starts with a response to God's word. That's what happens. That's when you begin to understand whether your belief is actually real. Does it cause you to begin to respond? And that's where it starts for us, ladies and gentlemen, in responding to the Word of God when dealing with the sin in our life. You either believe it or you don't. My first uh, overseas mission trip was in Kenya, Africa in 1997. And it was, a, it was a tremendous experience. It, it helped shape my life in a profound way, quite honestly. Um, let me just say right here, the rest of this story, I want you to understand, the rest of the story is not typical of most mission trips, all right? Because if you're part of cross-culture, you know that I want every one of y'all going on, on mission trips. We're on mission here locally, but I'd love to take as many of you as would go overseas as well. So this little preemptive strike here this is not typical our last day in the, 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 close to the last day before leaving the country dr Idle, who was the head of missions at southeastern baptist theological seminary that was the team i was with uh, he decided that we were going to have a little r and r the uh, the last day in country before we flew out and so he's as a treat he's going to let us he's going to take us all to nairobi national park where we can see wild animals in their natural habitat, and it's awesome, it's incredible, and all that kind of stuff. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my, kind of deal. And uh, so, so we're going to Nairobi National Park, right? Well, the night before, we receive word that the U.S. Embassy has released a warning, has issued a warning that no Americans are to travel the next day in Kenya, period. Wherever you are, stay put. It seems that the next day, and the next day, by the way, was going to be July 7th. So the seventh month, the seventh day, and it just so happened that it was the seventh year since there had been a big political uprising in Kenya. The Kenyans called it Sumba, Sumba, Sumba. And because of that, I don't apparently seven's a big deal in Kenya, I'm not sure, but they were apparently expecting trouble. So the U.S. Embassy says, stay put, don't go anywhere. Dr. Idle says, you know, I... I really don't think it's going to be that big a deal. And besides, if there is any trouble, it will it will be in downtown Nairobi, and we're not going anywhere near downtown Nairobi. So the next morning, we all get ready to go, and uh, because of the size of our party, we're in three vans, all right? Uh, so we're, we've got to load up in these different vans. Well, one van was late. It wouldn't start. I don't know what the problem was, but one of the vans was late that morning, and so Dr. Idle and most of the team loaded up in the first two vans and left, and there's five or six of us left waiting for the third van, which shows up about 20, somewhere 20 to 30 minutes after the other two vans had departed. Dr. Idle and the first two vans, as they're traveling towards Nairobi National Park, begin to run into roadblocks. Serious, I mean, roadblocks, like armies with army soldiers, AK-47s, spikes, Strips and you know tanks. I don't know what all it was, but but all kinds of stuff. And and so when they begin to do this, Dr. Idle apparently says, "Hmm, well maybe it's a little more serious than I thought it was." And so he orders the two vans to turn around and go back to the compound where we were staying. Unfortunately, our van didn't get that message because we were twenty or thirty minutes behind them, and this was this was pre cell phone days. Now that's hard for some of y'all to believe. Well, so so we head out and apparently our driver takes a different road than the other drivers because we end up guess where? Downtown Nairobi. Downtown Nairobi. We turn the corner uh, the, the the I guess the main street or whatever turn just uh, to turn and we are right in front of the university. Right in front of the university. We turn the corner just as The riot police are scrambling out of, with their full armor gear, are scrambling out of their armored vehicle and running. People are running, scattering. It is total mayhem, hysteria. Tear gas is flying across in front of the van. Rocks are flying, bottles are flying. Apparently bullets were flying because a number of people were killed that day. And the van driver swerved, he swerved to try and miss people and miss flying objects and all this kind of stuff. Now I knew it was a serious situation, but I'll tell you this is the truth. I looked, all of a sudden, you know, all this stuff kind of happens. But I looked and I could see the van driver's eyes in the rearview mirror. And when I saw his eyes in the rearview mirror, and I saw this look of total sheer terror (laughs) in this Kenyan driver's eyes. And I I remember, and this is what I thought. If this van stops, we will die today. We will die in this place. Now, obviously, we made it through, because I'm here. Thank you very much. Uh, But you know what the problem was? Dr. Idle didn't believe the word of the U.S. Embassy. He didn't act on it. If you really believed it, you would act on it, wouldn't you? That's what real belief does. It causes Action, and it begins by responding to the word concerning your life. A number of years ago, I went to visit a couple, a husband and wife, in a home. They weren't churchgoers. They didn't go to church. Someone had given me their name. I went to visit them. And as we talked, they were very nice, invited me in their home. And as, they, as, as we talked, the conversation began to turn to spiritual matters. And I began to walk through what we sometimes refer to as the gospel, the good news, the message of Christ with them. Some of you, if, if you've been with us, uh, some of you may remember a few weeks ago, I gave you a very simple formula for how you can share the message of Christ uh, with everybody. And it simply looks like this. It simply looks like a problem, a penalty, payment, and promise. That's, that's really all it is. There's a problem that all of us have sinned, every one of us. There is none righteous, not one, uh, the prophet Isaiah says. Because of that problem, there's a penalty that goes with it. The penalty is death, eternal death, eternal separation from God as a result of our sin that each and every one of us are guilty of. But because of the grace of God, there was a payment made. God, the Son, took on flesh, came to earth, went to a cross, laid down His life as the perfect sacrifice, atoning or paying, making payment for our sins. And because of that, there's a promise The promise is that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. That person that that identifies with what Christ did on the cross, believes that it was for their sins, and accepts Christ as their Savior, asks Him to come in be their Lord and their Savior, The, the Bible promises that our sins will be forgiven, will be adopted into the family of God, and that God has prepared a place for us for all of eternity. That is the gospel in a nutshell. Take it or leave it. That's what it is. Now, like I said, this was, this was years ago as before I came up with this whole problem penalty payment promise thing. But that is, in essence, the gospel. And that's what I shared with that couple that day. When I finished uh, talking or, or you know, just sharing the message of Christ with them, the husband and wife, they, they, they looked at each other. And then they turned and looked at me. And then the husband said, we believe everything you've just told us. But, well, no, he didn't. No, no they didn't. They didn't believe it. Not really, because you can't, you can't hear the word of God and truly believe it and not respond to it. Not when God works in your heart and your life and you truly understand. Don't say you believe it and it not have effect on your life. Real belief causes real action, and it begins by responding to the preaching of the word of God about our sin. And here's what will happen when... When that begins to work in your life, here's the second idea. There's remorse because of our sin. We respond, we begin to acknowledge, we begin to hear the word of God, we begin to respond to that by action, and it will cause remorse, regret, whatever you want to call it, as long as it's got an R, it will cause remorse in our life because of our sin. Look at verse uh, 5, I think it is called a fast and put on sackcloth, the people. They called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Uh, When the king finds out about it in verse 6, he says this. He arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. In verse 7 and 8, it goes on to tell us that the king even ordered that the animals have to fast and put on sackcloth and sit in ashes. Fasting was and, and is a, a way of denying yourself. In this sense, it's a way of denying yourself as an admission of your guilt. It's a way of, 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 of saying, I'm guilty of this. And so they, they would fast for it and, they they're, and they're reaching out to God. Sackcloth was a, a rough kind of material, as I understand it, made out of goat's hair. And it was very irritating, as you can imagine, to the skin. And people would wear it during times of mourning. And as an expression of guilt. They would put on this sackcloth and it would be an irritant to them. It would cause pain. And it was a way of them saying, I'm guilty of this. Putting ashes on the head or on the body or sitting down in the ashes. Again, is a way of grieving, acknowledging grief. Everything about this points to the fact that the people of Nineveh are absolutely, totally and completely broken over their sin. They... They don't try and mask it. They don't try to hide it. As a matter of fact, just the opposite. They go public with it. They're, they're out in front of God and everybody. They don't even care who knows. They make a spectacle of themselves. And they don't care what people think. Because they've, they've sinned. They've grieved God. They've broken God's law. And they are broken over breaking God's law. That's what happens. When you begin to respond to the word of God about the sin in your life. It should begin to bring remorse, grieving, brokenness over sin. When I was in seminary, I was the manager of the mail room. And the, the, the post office, the United States Post Service, would deliver mail to us, and then we would deliver mail to all the students. All the students had a box there at the seminary. One day, one of the students received a copy of Playboy magazine. I don't know if I've told you all this before or not, but uh, received a copy of Playboy magazine. I, I've got to tell the dean of students, number one, the seminary's reputation is on the line here because the post office delivered this magazine to us, which meant employees of the postal service knew that there was a seminary student, a student preparing for ministry who was now uh, prescribed, not prescribed, subscribing, yeah, it wasn't pres- prescription, yeah, give me two Playboys and call me in the morning, uh, he was subscribed to playboy magazine so the seminary's reputation is on the line and listen and this is okay and i know we struggle with this about confronting people sometimes about sin in their life but i owed i don't even know who the student was but i owed it to him to to call his sin out because I've read the statistics, I know the power of pornography when it gets in a person's life, and the grip that it can get on a person, and how it can absolutely wreck and ruin a home, a life, a marriage, a, a everything. So the dean of students, Alan Mosley, he calls the the student in, and bless his heart. You know what he says? You know, it's for research. He's doing research for a paper that he's preparing. Now he got a subscription. Okay, when is this paper due? Well, he insists it is for research. And, and Dr. Mosley tried every which way to get this young man, because you understand this is what all God's trying to do is get us to come to this place of brokenness over our sin. And, and, and Dr. Mosley is trying to get this young man to, to own up to his sin and to recognize what it is he's done. And he never would. He never would declare that what he'd done was wrong. He never would admit that what he had done was wrong. He never would become broken, remorseful over his sin. Now, compare that. With David's reaction when he gets caught in a sin in Psalm 51. Look at this. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. That's brokenness. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgments against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Can you hear? It is very language. But you desire honesty from the womb. womb, Teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me. And I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. You don't desire sacrifice or I would offer one. You don't want a burnt offering. Watch this. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. A broken spirit you will not reject a broken and repentant heart, oh God, you know one of the characteristics of our culture that we live in today is that hardly anybody's to blame for anything. Have you noticed that uh, either um, well it was it was my parents it was bad parenting skills, my parents caused me to be this way or or my my uh, my school did this or just the uh, the culture around me influenced me or, or made me the way i am or television uh, did did that or a guy named flip wilson comedian named flip wilson back in the 70s had this really famous statement the devil made me do it listen certainly Cultural and family influences can help shape our lives and create us into who we are. Certainly, there is a spiritual enemy who is working against us, seeking to deceive us and to destroy us. But can I tell you something? Sooner or later, at some point, somebody has to say, you know what? It it was me. I've sinned. I've, I've done this thing. I've broken God's laws. I've offended God. And my heart is grieved. The people of Nineveh were grieved to the point of brokenness. That's what happens that 's what real belief will do. It will cause the action of remorse over our sin, which then leads to one more idea this morning, and that is this: we will repent from our sin now somebody might be thinking well hadn't isn 't that what you've just been talking about? No, not really, not completely remorse regret certainly that is part of uh, this process feeling feeling guilty, feeling conviction, feeling the weight of God's Spirit on you as a result of your sin, certainly that is part of it. But listen to me, it's not enough. If it stops there, we've not reached where God wants us to go. There has to be repentance. The very word means to turn around and go in another direction. It's not enough to just feel bad about my sin I've got to move away from my sin. I've got to run away from my sin. My mechanic's name is Demetrius Chumbas. Some of you know him. and Demetrius can tell his story far better than I can. But uh, a few years ago, Demetrius, by his own admission, was, uh, was a man who wanted to have nothing to do with God. Uh, he, he was a man that was chasing the things of the world. That's all he was interested in. He was a man that was, that was full of pride and arrogance and self, and he was a man who, who had allowed himself to be caught up in some things in the world that would be destructive to himself and destructive to his family, and it all caught up to him one day when his wife found out about some of the things that he was involved in. And Demetrius said his whole world, for the first time, his whole world came crashing down around him. And he said, I remember thinking, what what am I doing? Is is that worth this? Is that worth what I'm about to throw away? Demetrius felt the weight of God's conviction. He was remorseful for his sins, but it didn't stop there. Praise God, it didn't stop there. Demetrius gave his heart and his life to Jesus Christ. And uh, if you knew him before, you wouldn't think him the same person today. If you go by his shop, uh, I, I can virtually guarantee you you're going to hear preaching on the radio. I don't know what his mechanics think, listening to it all day, but he's got preaching going on all day on the radio. I can pretty much assure you, at some point in your conversation when you're discussing the bill, what all needed to be fixed, the name Jesus is going to come up somewhere in there, somehow. He and his family are very active in a church in Cary today. Demetrius is very active in a, in a men's ministry that reaches out to, to men in prison What am I saying? I'm saying he turned around and he went in a new direction. That's repentance, ladies and gentlemen. Don't talk to me about feeling bad about your sin until until you can answer the question: What have you done as a result of feeling bad about your sin? What have you done about the guilt of your sin? Oh well, I've turned around. I've begun to go in a new direction. Congratulations, you're understanding what it means to repent, to turn, and to go in a new direction. The people of Nineveh were a wicked, godless merciless people. And God, in an unbelievable demonstration of His grace and and the power of His Word, when just one prophet is obedient, although reluctant, obedient, when one obedient prophet speaks the Word of God, it's absolutely unbelievable what God can do. In the power of His Word, people will respond. It should include a remorse over our sin and it can't stop there. It's got to be a turning away from and moving toward God. Real belief causes real action. Now, let me say this. I know we've got to close. Demetrius' story is a great story. And we love those kind of stories, right? We love to hear about the, the drug addict or the prostitute or the, uh, the gang member or somebody that, that comes to Christ. We love to hear about the people of Nineveh, these wicked people, and, and, and it's unbelievable how wicked these people were. We love to hear about 600,000 people responding at one time. But what about you? What about me? Well, what do you mean, pastor? I've already come to the Lord. yes. But if you've been with us in this study of Jonah, you know you've heard me say several times that any of us can run from God at any point in our lives. And should our response, if we're running from God, listen, can I, can I make that just as plain as I can make it? If we're running from God, we're, we're in sin. That's just as plain as I can make it. If we're running from God, and I, and I explained that first week, what that basically anything, something God doesn't want us to do, we turn and go the other direction. We're running from God. If that is the case, should we not also respond to the proclamation of the word of God the way the people of Nineveh did? Should we not also feel remorse over our sin? Oh, maybe it's not the wickedness of Nineveh, but maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe it's lustful thinking. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's covetousness. Maybe it's laziness. I don't know what all it would be. But, but should we not feel the same remorse that they felt? And should we not turn and go in a new direction? If it's real belief, if it's real belief, we
0: will. It's hard to imagine that many people responding at one time to God. But what a beautiful picture of God's grace. Today's message is a reminder to all of us that when our belief is real, there will be action. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk.